Why you look so sad? Tears are in your eyes. Come on and come to me now. Don't be ashamed to cry. Let me see you through. Cause I've seen the dark side too. When the night falls on you, don't know what to do. Nothing you confess could make me love you less. I'll stand by you. I'll stand by you. Won't let nobody hurt you. If you're mad, get mad. Don't hold it all inside. Come on and talk to me now. Babe. What you got to hide? I get angry too. Well, I'm a lot like you. You're standing at the crossroads. Don't know which path to choose Let me come along Cause even if you're wrong I'll stand by you I'll stand by you Won't let nobody hurt you A story is true. A story is untrue. A story is a work of transformative fiction. As time extends, it matters less and less. Hello, I'm Kendra Spring Classic, and welcome back to Reading Between the Lines, a podcast by fandom nerds for fandom nerds. This podcast is all about fan fiction, 
the much-maligned art form that, nevertheless, brings many people cathartic levels of joy, not just in the reading of it, but in the creation of it as well. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We're so glad to have you. But be sure to go back and listen to our previous episodes. These are evergreen stories, which can be revisited again and again. You're certain to discover something new each time. I know I have. In last month's episode, I featured Ukrainian author Lecky, whose introspective flint fic opened up not only the world of black sails, but the reality of the war in his homeland. We spoke at length about the meaning of home, the power of stories, and just how much Silver might have known going into that lantern-lit confession in the season three finale. This month, we're staying in Flint's POV for a revealing conversation with Madi, which takes place in the moments after they learn that Silver is still alive. Toby Stevens has stated that James became himself with Thomas Hamilton. If that is the case, then he became arguably his best self balanced between Silver and Madi. We talk a lot about tethers in this fandom, and for all the focus on Madi being a tether for Silver, we tend to forget that she was also a tether for Flint. This short ficlet captures a rare glimpse at Madi as a patient guide to an incredibly raw and vulnerable Flint. Join me for this beautifully evocative story of love and hope, springing up to fill in those cracks that loss and longing leave behind in Stitched with Its Color by Etoile. Stitched with Its Color by Etoile. Summary. He is my friend, too. She'd reached out to him for the first time after he'd said those damning words, slipping her small hand into his and leaning against his side. Had duty not pulled them back into the world, he thinks they might yet be standing on that beach, like silent watchers in some myth, fading away to nothing with their eyes fixed on the sea. The scene where Maudie tells Flint that Silver is alive. Notes. Your absence has gone through me, like thread through a needle. Everything I do is stitched with its color. W.S. Merwin. Flint feels the warm, steady pressure of a touch on his shoulder. He doesn't look up. He's seated in a corner of the small abandoned house they have occupied, forearms resting on widespread thighs, staring down at hands that are occupied in twisting the rings on his fingers. He doesn't need to look to know it's her. No one else would dare touch him, or care to. She undoubtedly means it as a comfort. And it is, or would be, but that every such gesture serves as a reminder of its cause, a pain far too vast to be soothed. It is at least some relief to see his sorrow mirrored in her eyes, and know that although they do not speak of it, there is someone with whom he does not have to pretend he is whole. He's barely able to plaster over the aching void at his core with movement, with plans, with action, but as soon as he stills, the cracks start to show, and when she touches him, he runs the risk of crumbling entirely. He is my friend, too. She'd reached out to him for the first time 
after he'd said those damning words, slipping her small hand into his and leaning against his side. Had duty not pulled them back into the world, he thinks they might yet be standing on that beach, like silent watchers in some myth, fading away to nothing with their eyes fixed on the sea. But, given no choice, they carried on. It was only later, alone and restless in the dark, that Flint had thought of her hand in his and felt the echo of its history, the touches it had bestowed, as if Silver had left an impression on her skin, an impression she could share. It's the closest he will ever come to such a touch now. It's closer than he ever would have come before. They have been each other's strength since that day, and if he provides her with assurance that this war is not in vain, that he can be their champion, and at least it will have meant something, then she provides him with this, confirmation that there is one person left in the world who sees him for who he is, and will lay a hand on him in kindness. She doesn't expect anything of him in these moments, and so he doesn't raise his head, but there is tension in her body, and he realizes she is waiting. He does look up at her then, and sees tears shining in her eyes. Neither of them has had any tears left for days, and he is instantly filled with panic, a horrible fear that there could be something worse. He rises, preparing himself to face it, to descend once more into battle. But when she finally speaks, her voice is the barest whisper, and it cracks him open in a way he hadn't known to brace against. He's alive. It's like being pushed off the edge of a cliff. Flint holds himself perfectly still, frozen in place while his heart leaps and starts to pound wildly in his chest. His eyes dart around the room, instinctively confirming that they are alone. Then the facade collapses and he crumbles in on himself, pulls her into his arms without a thought, and holds her tight. She trembles against him, and there are hot tears running down his own face that he makes no effort to conceal. Alive. He pulls away, draws a shuddering breath. Where? How? At the Rex. But he is in danger. They have sent men to arrest him. We must move quickly. Flint gathers men, gives orders, but it's all second nature and his mind is wholly occupied with images of silver, alone and defenseless. His grief transforms to fear because it's not over yet, won't be over until he has brought silver back. Back. Alive. The fear shifts, and as he waits impatiently for his men to arm themselves, it condenses into a cold, sickening knot in his stomach, which has nothing at all to do with British soldiers. Madi, He says her name softly. He never has before. Wouldn't have even until today. But what is this if not brutally personal? She's still by his side, standing in the dusty yard, and she looks up at him with red-rimmed eyes. He makes himself say it. These past days, you have to understand, I have no illusions. His voice almost breaks on the words. Had I not thought him lost, I would never... He trails off, not knowing how to continue, hoping she will say something to rescue him. She doesn't. He takes a steadying breath. He's lucky to have found you, and I'm glad of it. I cannot imagine it would serve any of us to dwell on this time. She watches him in silence, expression unreadable. He meets her gaze steadily, 
bearing himself for her judgment. It was one thing for her to have accepted this when it meant sharing the burden of grief, and quite another when it means, whatever this will be. It doesn't matter. Any damage that has been done, he can bear it. The humiliation of his exposure paling in comparison to the only fact that matters. Alive. Does he speak of me? Her question takes Flint aback. The true answer is not really. Not the way she means. Silver has voiced admiration of her strength, her leadership. He hasn't made a secret of the nature of their relationship, but they've never spoken of such things lightly. Flint hesitates too long in answering, and she continues. You are the center of his world. He cannot imagine himself without you. It scared me when I first learned of the depth of that connection. I thought you might be someone who would use such a thing to your advantage. A slight smile curves her lips. I did not know you then. He wonders for a moment if they could possibly not be talking about the same thing. Yes, he and Silver are singular to each other. That hardly means... It is true that he loves me, she says, cutting him off. He loves me all the more fiercely because loving me is a relief. Loving me is easy. It confirms what he wants to believe about himself. His love for you? I believe that love terrifies him. I don't... He... Flint stammers, stricken dumb. He can't breathe, and his mind is filled with a noise like the crashing of waves that blocks out any coherent thought. Truly, can you not see it? Though he has tormented himself by imagining what could have been, replaying every interaction in search of hidden layers of meaning, Flint hasn't dared even to form the words in his mind, let alone imagine they might be true. Clear as day, he sees Silver on the cliffs, smile bright as the dazzling sunlight around them, and he feels his throat constricting again. A fragile hope blooms in his chest, and it feeds the wild need to go now, to see that Silver is safe. He snaps at Joji to hurry, which earns him a withering look he fully deserves. Maudie places a quelling hand on his upper arm, bringing his focus back to her. When he is ready to face that which is already plain to me, I will be no obstacle, she says, her dark eyes holding his, making sure he understands, and I would not force a choice that I know would destroy him. He offers her a smile that is almost shy, complicit. The ground between them shifts, a world of possibilities opening which he had thought lost to him forever. Nor would I. Someone calls to Flint, indicating that they are ready to set out. Maudie stands on tiptoe and brushes her lips over his cheek. And that these lips have also kissed Silver feels like a promise now. He needs you. Go to him. Bring him home. Today I got to sit down with Etoile, the endlessly insightful and incredibly prolific fanfic author spearheading the Built on Sand event for Black Sails fan creation, and one of the most respected voices in the fandom. I approached them about their Maudie Flint story before this podcast was even off the ground, and I'm so glad we could finally connect. A quick disclaimer. During our conversation, we experienced our fair share of audio issues. 
But do stick with us. It is absolutely worth it. We've got a lot to talk about today, so let's dive right in. Well, welcome. Welcome, Etoile. It's so wonderful to have you on the podcast. How are you today? Doing well, thanks. I really appreciate you inviting me on. Good. I'm I'm really excited. This has been a piece that I've been wanting to do for a long time. And I know that I contacted you months ago before I even had the podcast up and running. Um, it was just kind of a baby idea in my head. And uh, this was a piece that really resonated with me because there's not a lot of fix that really touch on that relationship between Maddie and Flint, specifically in this kind of condensed time frame of where they're both just mourning silver. And this is a really, really beautiful moment in time. So when did you first discover Black Sails? Well, I think like a lot of people, um, I sort of missed Black Sales when it was first airing and then during the pandemic, but I think a lot of us were sort of looking for media. Um, I had a couple of people recommend it to me. I was in a phase where I was reading a lot of queer romance, a lot of sort of historical things um, and had folks from that community recommend this to me as you know, pirates and canon queer content. And I could not resist and was just immediately hooked and got very, very drawn in. So I think it was early 2021, um, you know, and I watched it all pretty quickly with a group of friends and really have never looked back. Yeah, I think I think a lot of us have had the same experience. Um, so many people that I've talked to have mentioned that it was about around that time, it's during the pandemic. And I am hoping that with the writer strike and the actor strike with kind of um, production grinding to a halt on a lot of things, that this is going to spark another black sales renaissance, just like it did in the pandemic, where we were all desperately searching for content. So uh, what really resonated with you about black sales in particular? So many things. That is such a tricky question. And I've been kind of pondering it. I mean, I think part of it really is the sense that it is a perfect tragedy in that it is preordained. You know that it is a prequel. You know where they're going to end up. You know, it cannot mm-hmm. end another way. And yet when you're watching it, it keeps feeling like maybe they're going to work it out. Maybe something could somehow happen and we'll just talk and it's going to be okay and you know it's not and that you know I I think I think Black Sails is really a show where people get from it what they need and people get all kinds of different things and I think you know there are messages about um, sort of civilization and how people are othered and the ideas of monstrosity and sort of big political ideas and also for me fundamentally it's the silver flint show like it really is it's that relationship it's the way from when i was first watching it that they cannot quite connect even though they are the most important people to each other and again you you know where it's ending up and i i went in spoiled i went in knowing where it was ending up and 
I still can't process it. Like, I think that somehow what happened is that it doesn't feel like that can be everything to me. Like, it just, it, that cannot possibly be all that there is and what happens, even though I know that it is. And so I had never written fake for anything before, but I just like needed to process. And it really feels like what happened is I'm just like writing to process <laughs> this show because I can't reconcile how it all ended. So yeah, perfect tragedy. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people go into um, Black Sails fan fiction either writing or just reading it as therapy because it is very, very hard to let go of the show. I had never read fi fan fiction before in my life, but when I got to the end of this show, I was bereft. I couldn't I let go of the characters. And as satisfying as the ending is, from a story standpoint, it is it is personally and emotionally devastating. And I understand that it is a beautiful ending. It is a perfect ending. And it sets up exactly where everybody needs to be for Treasure Island. But in my heart, the going back and the first thing I wanted to read when I went into Black Sails uh, fan fiction and started searching was fix it fix for the ending. <laughs> I was yeah. like, please, we've got to go back. We've got to, we've got to somehow make everybody happy at the end of the story. And um, so for a while, that's, that's all I would read is, is stuff that kind of soothed the raw edges of all of this existential crisis that I was feeling at the end of the story. And then going back, the, the further I got into the fandom, rewatching and everything like that, I really enjoyed going through and stories like this, where you're looking at a moment in time and you're examining character motivations and uh, the depths of the story, the depth of the writing, the depth of the performances, um, it really does offer up so much opportunity for writers to go in and examine motivations because they are there to be pulled out and extrapolated. And it's, it's just fantastic. And you've written so many stories that have really, really personally moved me. And I wanted to go with this one because of the unique aspect of the story of going in uh, with Monty and Flint. Um, this is the first one, um, the first story that I'm featuring on the podcast that does feature Madi. And so I really wanted to open up that discussion. So you have written for other fandoms and you've had more experiences in fandoms. How does this compare um, to other fandoms that you may have been involved in in the past? Well, so I think my experience is sort of interesting in that this is definitely the first time that I've been active in fandom. Um, I came up in fandom when I was very young. Uh, I think like a lot of us sort of pre-adolescent, adolescent, you know, discovered the internet, I'm dating myself, but sort of prior to fandoms that I read things. Mm -hmm. And it was more of like a passive experience. It was very formative to me. You know, I do think that's always sort of been how I've seen the world, but I never wrote, I never actively engaged, I never even really commented. Um, and then there was a period of maybe 
at least 10 years, probably more than 10 years, um, where I was just not really in fandom at all. And then really sort of came back for Black Sails because I did watch it and I just, it, nothing that I could do was sort of in, enough, like passively consuming it was not enough. <laughs> uh, I watched it, I immediately started reading fic and then started writing, but I have not been engaged in other fandoms in the same way. So I don't think I have the same point of comparison that a lot of people do in terms of maybe being in bigger or more active fandoms like this has really been it for me in terms of what a fandom experience is like, which, you know, I, I think in some ways has been positive just because this is such a deeply engaged, really intelligent, really passionate group of people who are so dedicated to this show. So, you know, while it might not be maybe as big or as active as some, I do think that it really, especially as a creator, gets you a ton of support. Um, and there's just so much there to explore. So this is it from like, Yes, I've written like two other fics, I think. But to me, I'm like a black sales writer. And a couple times something else has gotten stuck in my brain. Like Fetch Phillips Archives is like, well, Luke Arnold wrote it. It's an extension. He's processing the same <laughs> yeah. stuff that we're processing, frankly. Like it's very <laughs> obvious. <laughs> um, so that felt like an extension. And then the other thing with The Exorcist is just like, you know, 1,500 words that got stuck in my head. But I think um for me black sales really did something super unique to my brain chemistry that pulled me yeah. to do this yeah i i agree and is in terms of the if you're going to pick a fandom to get involved in this is the one the only i i've spoken about this before the only other fandom that i've really been super involved in was outlander and mm. the the difference between that fandom and this fandom is absolutely night and day and then talking about Fetch Phillips, the parallels, and you can so tell that as he was writing it, he was so, he had his head so immersed in black sails um, that it just, it couldn't help but bleed into the text. There's so much. So you have uh, written both these short ficlets, the, this one that, that we're doing is a ficlet, but also some beautiful long form series. Um, so what are the differences in terms of storytelling and process and the differences in the way that it is cathartic? How do those uh, experiences differ for you as a writer? Yeah, that that's a really interesting question that strangely I hadn't thought too much about before this interview, because to me, I think it feels like and I think we might talk a little bit later about sort of writing process in general, but the process isn't that different. It feels like sort of unearthing what I want to show. And it's a question of like, well, how much do I need to, to sort of excavate to show what I want to show about this world? But I'm not sure like from story to story, it's a question of like, well, how how far into it am I going to dig? But it could be just as sort of rich and expansive in 
all of these different possible universes. And, you know, for something like this short Flint Mahdi piece that you're featuring, it's like, okay, we're focusing on this one conversation, but the rest of it is still fair. You know, in the back mm-hmm. of my head, I'm not, I'm not showing it, but I have a really full sense of what that whole world looks like, what happened before, what's happening after. And this is just as much as we need to show for the reader to understand what they need to understand about the, the point that's being made here. Whereas for some things, for some of the longer form pieces, it's just, okay, well, you need to show more of that world in order to kind of get the point across. But I don't think there's necessarily to me a difference in, I'm sure that somewhere in the back of my head, the structure is different. Storytelling is different, but I don't, I I think a lot of writers do that really consciously. I don't do that consciously. It, Mm -hmm. It just sort of organically, like this is what it needs to be. So this is what it is. Yeah. There's a, there's a quote that I've always loved by uh, Michelangelo where he says, I saw the angel in the marble and I set him free. And so, yeah. So every, every piece is kind of like that. Uh, You just see what is actually there and, uh, and just capture it. So this uh, fix shows Mari at really her most intuitive where she's just absolutely staring directly into the soul of Flint and also fully understanding um, and being able to read silver as well. And uh, it, it really captures the different aspects of light and dark of like a revolutionary character with Madi portraying the light and Flint portraying the dark. So uh, what really speaks to you about that dynamic between Madi and Flint, that relationship that's developing right here? So, so I'm actually interested in this question because I think maybe you got something slightly different out of it than I did. And I think I'm going to maybe cheat a little bit and say, can you tell me more about like where you see that light and dark coming out in the story? Because I'm not sure that is necessarily how, how, and I do have something to say about it, but I'm not sure that's how I understand them in, in this story. And I'm not sure that I would, I would sort of make the dichotomy that way. I don't know that it's specifically in this story, but I think it's overall um, in their characters that Madi is going at this as a revolutionary with much higher and more selfless intentions. And Flint is coming at it from from a darker point of revenge. And I think with with his relationship with Madi and the way that he evolves over the course of his encounter with her and developing that relationship, he comes further, further and further into the center from the darker portion. And he's, he's being brought by Madi into the light of understanding the selflessness of which she is pursuing this war this war is not about her. It is not about uh, revenge against something that is a slight to her. It's about freedom and doing away with shackles and oppression for everyone. And I guess that's where I was getting that dynamic. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that really gets to 
maybe the distinction that I see there is sort of an individual approach versus a more communal approach that you see between the two of them. Um, I do think in some ways they're both coming from a place of revenge. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, what, what Maddie's people have experienced is, is, you know, obviously sort of the very extremity of oppression, of being enslaved, but it's not something that she personally has experienced. She yeah. actually existed in this very sort of supportive community uh, with both her mother and her father and all of the Maroon community to to support her in her role of leadership, to sort of educate her about her place in the world, the place of her people in the world. And I think that Flynn really has not had, we, we see him existing in relation to this variety of partners, right? And Silver calls mm-hmm. it out. Of like, yeah. okay, it's Thomas and Miranda, it's Gates, it's Silver. Like, he always needs to talk to somebody, but he's not particularly open and honest with a lot. Like, I think really after Thomas, he's never able to sort of fully talk about what's going on with him. He is often seen as like he is fighting for what he sees as freedom and justice, but it is very based on his own personal experience, what he wants for himself, what he wants for imaginary Thomas, who's not around anymore. And not sort of this big community of people who he's seeking justice for. And it leads him to do these really dark things. I think during the raids, we see, I think they make a big point of showing us, you know, yeah, absolutely. He's like firebombing houses, right? That have women and children and undoubtedly enslaved people. Like there is collateral damage. He is killing innocents, yeah. 100%. And he can justify that to himself, but he understands that he's seen as a villain for it. And that's this mm-hmm. huge, you know, he sort of takes a lot of that into himself that like, okay, I'm just going to be this villain then. Whereas yeah. Madi, and I think, you know, again, we, we might talk about this a little bit later in terms of, I, I happen to be working on something about this now. So it's Ooh. been very front of my mind, but Madi, assuming that she has, you know, sort of been in her mother's confidences and taking a leadership role has probably tortured more people than Flint, right? Like she's probably caused more actual human, like they're, what they're doing on this island is capturing boats full of sailors who are like probably often just merchant sailors and and nobody's leaving that island. So we think of her, I think the fandom has this like inclination to sort of whoopify body like, oh, she's this wonderful, pure, light revolutionary. No, they are torturing people to death on this island who may or may not have been directly involved in the slave trade. But when she makes those decisions, when she's involved in that kind of thing, she has this whole context of community support, deeper personal and ideological justification for taking that kind of action so she doesn't have to see herself as a villain 
when she does those things. She does see it as being in service of this greater good and it's not coming from a place of like personal injury. So I think I see really that as being the difference is like her bringing Flint sort of into this more community-based, broader sense of we're fighting for justice rather than personal vengeance. That is so, uh, you know what? I never even thought about that. And probably not a lot of people do because we do look at, at Mari as this, this regal figure who, who is the go-between between Silver and her mother. And, and she is the one who is going on behalf of the pirates and saying, Hey, maybe we can offer mercy at this time, but she's doing that because she has a soft spot for Silver. That. Okay, so you're kind of blowing your all the other time. She has presumably not done that. (laughs) Yes, you're kind of blowing my mind right now. I love it. So yeah, that is so interesting because we do we give her such a pass because of how calm she is. Like what a beautiful person she is, and we're just like, oh, she's this this goddess woman who is just leading a, a a righteous army. But yeah, she's been doing some atrocities herself. That's really interesting. Perfectly justifiable atrocities, right? I don't think the fact that, like, okay, she's been committing atrocities, like with Flint, who happened to think has never done anything wrong in his whole life, (laughs) right? (laughs) You know, we're committing atrocities doesn't necessarily mean they're, you know, this should not have happened. Sometimes the atrocities are justified. Yeah, and I think really where Madi is coming from is, you know, I think she is more comfortable than Flint in some ways. Like, I think he does have that conflict inside of him. Yeah. About the atrocities, right? I must be a bad person because I have done these things. I'm embracing being a villain because I'm doing these things. Madi doesn't have that conflict. I'm doing these things because I have to, because that's what's right for my people. Yeah, she has spent most of her life uh since childhood in that camp and they have to do what they need to do in order to stay hidden um no one can leave because there's no there's no telling who they're going to tell about this island and that whole conversation that that flint has with silver in the cage where he says i know the burden on her shoulders she cannot let us leave so it is it is true. You do see more of that struggle with Flint, that internal conflict with Flint than you do see in either Maudie or in the Maroon Queen, which is fantastic. It's very interesting. This whole there I have watched this show so many times and every person that I talk to on this podcast has brought so much more depth and because we all watch it through the filter of our own experiences and and whatever we bring to it and it's just fantastic and that's and the fact that the show holds up to all of that analysis is just a testament to how strong the writing is it's really really fantastic so the trio of flint moddy and silver um exists in this little sweet spot in the the early 
part of season four. So do you see Flint as a binding element to the three of them or the component which breaks them apart? You know, so I think say neither um, there, but I think, I think this goes back to the perfect tragedy issue, which is that I, I think everyone is doing their best. Literally mm-hmm. everyone is doing the best that they can, but I think rather than any one of them being either the binding element or the thing that breaks them apart, what I really see is just this huge issue of miscommunication. And so I season four, this dynamic that's going on where Flint has changed, I think, mm-hmm. significantly as we were talking about, you know, in the previous yeah. lesson about sort of how Madi is, is drawing him in, Flint has changed, but Silver can't quite see it. So Flint yeah. has yeah. in some ways softened um, and really gotten to be passionate about not just revenge but everything that they're fighting for in terms of freedom and justice and creating a home um you know he really is working towards this goal that i don't think silver can quite see mm-hmm. but silver maybe understands in a theoretical way that Madi is working towards, I don't think he can believe that Flint is working towards it because of what he has seen. I think one thing we forget is how compressed the time frame is. Yeah. So this is less than a year. The entire series takes place in less than a year. And so Silver really sees Flint, I think, as being bent on vengeance and being willing to do anything. And I think, you know, when he says, like, when I thought I lost Madi, I saw what you saw. That's where he thinks Flint still is, is, is that phase right after he lost Miranda. And Flint has moved on from that, but I don't think that Silver can, can see it or believe it or trust it. And that's really understandable because he has seen Flint do all of these terrible things. But he can't believe that Flint has changed. And Flint, I think just as much, I think we focus sometimes on the ways that Silver can't see Flint. But just as much, I don't think that Flint understands that someone can have the same information as him and yet not come to the same conclusions as him about like what needs to be done. And so I think that Flint really thinks okay, Silver has been with me through all of this and understands all of this. And so he must be on the same page with me about why revolution is necessary, about why we're fighting this fight. But he never really stops to sort of say, is this what you want? Is this what you're in it for? And it's not, you know, Silver has never been in it for that. And Silver, I think it's really hard for me because I, I, um, I have a very, 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 very hard time with what Silver does at the end. Um, mm-hmm. I, I find it virtually unforgivable. I understand how Flint could forgive it. I have a very hard time forgiving it. But I think the only thing that helps me understand where Silver is coming from is that he tried so many times 
to say to both Flint and Maudie, I'm not sure I'm okay with this. It's both the would I be enough for you stuff, but also the like, what if this just ends in all of the existential horrors, right? Yeah. Neither Flight nor Madi really think about it. They don't see what he's like reaching so hard for. He keeps trying to express it and they don't see it. And so I think, you know, it's that fundamental miscommunication that tears them apart where Silver is trying to say, I don't think this is worth it. I think it's going to be too much sort of human cost, human suffering, too much loss. And Flint and Madi don't understand that perspective because they are so ideologically invested. And I think that really is, is what tears them apart in the end. Yeah, I think that is that is very interesting. And because we do see Flint's internal turmoil all through season three, and we see that shift, we see that change. So we understand fully that Flint has softened, but that's not something that Silver is privy to. We also, and I think I think you're absolutely correct in saying that with Flint and Maudie, they are ideologically in sync. And in terms of Maudie, she is putting her herself up as uh, willingly as uh, a potential sacrifice for um, her people. Flint, I think, is already dead in his head. I think I- Flint is already, I'm going to die. And at least I want my death to matter in the end. And Silver is still fully connected to that survival instinct. He cannot separate himself from, I want a future, I want happiness, regardless of what it costs anybody else. And yeah, and that is, it's something that I can understand when you look at it from a story point, it is infuriating, but it's, it's hard to say you know, where, where we would all shake out in the end, but it is, it's a very interesting thing because there are no clear, he's not a villain. There are no clear villains in the story other than the entirety of the British empire in the manifestation of Woods Rogers. Um, But even then they humanize literally every single person, individual person in the story. So that is very interesting. Yeah. extent to which Flint feels like okay I'm already dead because he sees what Silver and Madi have because it's like well what do I have to live for and I think he does understand himself in relation to other people a lot which Silver does also like that's Mm -hmm. actually thing they have in common and Thomas is gone Miranda is gone I think it is it is clear to the extent that I legitimately feel like we are being beaten over the head with it in season yeah. four. He is yeah. in love with Silver. Like he is. Incredible. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's just there. And he knows that Silver either does not return those feelings. I think he thinks just doesn't return those feelings or cannot look at that directly. And so he goes, okay, given that that's the case, if I can secure, like, basically the best I can do at this point is to get what I can get with my death, 
because there is nothing to live for because he's lost everyone that he had to live for. And silver is not going to be what he wants. And I'm going to make myself cry right here in this. I know it's so, it's so, (laughs) it's so sad because yeah, it is so clear. It is so clear in every single frame of the performance, this softening and this almost swooning affection that that Flint has for Silver. And by extension, Mahdi, because he understands that Silver loves Mahdi. And so he wants everything that will make Silver happy. And just that moment where Mahdi and Silver are reunited and the camera cuts to him and it is just devastating. And I've heard people say that um, they think that moment is him reflecting on Thomas. I don't. I think it. he is understanding the reality that that Silver is lost to him, that that the idea of a potential partnership with Silver is lost to him, that she has taken his place. I think he's fundamentally wrong. Like, I think Silver misunderstands a lot of things. I think Flint is fundamentally misunderstanding something there, too. Like, I think I understand and it's hard. It's hard for me to sort of parse where do I maybe disagree with the show writers, but they're doing what they're doing versus where am I picking up on what they're doing? But I don't think that Silver and Maudie's relationship makes any sense without Flint. I think that the way that Silver feels about Maudie is about Flint and that Flint, yes, because he is those sort of willing to sacrifice himself. He's already in a mode where he's willing to sacrifice himself just kind of goes, okay, that's what they have now. I'm not part of it because he doesn't want to sort of presume and silver again, can't look directly at this, but what does silver really see in her? And a lot of what silver really sees in her is also what silver sees in Flint. And he just wants the sort of safety and security that he sees in her. But I think, I think silver is wrong about that. There's just a lot of people being wrong about stuff in this show. Yeah. The, it's, it's, misunderstands. it's the tragedy of it all yeah it's it's a lot of of people kind of towing the line with society's expectations what he sees is what he is supposed to feel for the appropriate partner uh but when he's he says you know oh my god you sound exactly like him she's always sounded exactly like him not just in that moment from the get-go they are they are mirrors of each other and i think there i don't think there is any kind of valid interpretation of that dynamic that is not flint entirely just overwhelmingly in love with silver and silver understanding that on some fundamental level and rejecting it out of fear yeah and that's one of the things that also makes uh, season four, so heartbreaking yeah. because it is this constant feeling underneath and I'm going to make myself cry, but like this, <laughs> it's constant feeling underneath of this longing, this, this overwhelming longing where Flint finally understands because it is in, in season three, when 
Miranda or his projection of Miranda says, you can't see it now. You can't see it yet. You're not alone. And he's telling himself about silver. Please, please see this. Please see him. He's there. You're not alone. And it's just the fact that they can never connect in that way is just overwhelmingly sad. He wants it so desperately. It's because it's all of that is there. And also he kind of is alone because silver kind of doesn't see it the same way. Yeah. I hate it. I hate it here. <laughs> We're all in hell forever. <laughs> um, so I, I also wanted to talk about some of your other work as well. You've written one of my absolute favorite fix in this fandom. And that's long as Amber of Ember grows. Um, not only that, but Jay did a podfic of it. So this is one of my favorites because it, it because it approaches that conversation, the episode three ten conversation, and takes all of the all of the repression out and just all on the table. It approaches the scene the way I think we all see it if everyone was being honest. And that's one of the things I absolutely love about it because there's so much, there's so much self-deception that goes on in all of this. And when you lift that out, all of a sudden the kind of the pieces tumble into place and, and you have, um, have this perfect moment. And that's kind of what that, that fic did for me. And I read it and then I sat back and I just... It's it, it's so beautiful. So can you tell me a little bit about writing that and what it felt like to have that uh, story um, recorded for you by, by Jay? Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting because both the story that you're featuring on this episode, Stitch With Its Color, and then this one, Long as Amber of Ember Glows, um, were both like birthday prompts for friends. Um, where I I think maybe you can tell I'm perhaps inclined to a little bit darker interpretations, a little bit more sort of angsty, um, difficult, nothing is really fixed here. Um, but just that idea of like, what would it have been like if 310 had gone as we all might have hoped and just giving them that kind of fix it what would it be like if they all, you know, said, said what they need to say? I think it's the only time that I've let them say that they're in love with each other. And just what does it take to get them to that conversation? But it does feel like 310 is one of the only opportunities that they have where they get close enough to talking to it about it that they could realistically have that conversation. Um, and it was so cathartic to kind of go through the whole process from where they start and Silver is kind of terrified by revealing directly what I think they both knew, right? Like the chemistry is so incredibly there, but it's different to have it be named and brought out. Yes, And letting them go from there to talk through it um, and connect with each other that way, it, 
just cathartic is really the only word that keeps coming back to me. It was their opportunity for once to just, you know, once, once that happens, it would be, there's so few points at which it could be fixed. But I think from there, like that, that's where it would be fixed is if they could have said what they needed to say. And, and it was really a joy to let them have that with each other and then fuck on the goal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, that's one of the things that I talked to Lecky about um, in the previous episode is in the context of the story, in the context of the show, why does Silver ask that question the way that he does? He asks it because he already knows. He yeah. already knows. He asked it without pronouns. Like the fact that he asked it in that way. Way. Yeah, that. he doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Because the the idea, the rom- romantic hero, he is revenging a damsel, but he knows. He knows because the way that we as viewers know is that all of this subtextual, these these emotions running underneath the surface, everything that the actors are displaying on their faces choreographs everything that they haven't said to each other and it's it's really really beautiful it's really really sad because you see the hope on flint's face when he is finished telling that story like okay here we are here we are what's gonna happen and then slam shut i'm going to be the end of you yeah. It's- yeah. I've gone back to that. I think in a couple different fics because it just kills me again. Like fic is processing, right? I cannot even begin to fathom what it is like to put that much of yourself out there. And it's so obvious that he's hoping for something and yeah. he just doesn't get it back, but he gets back something that is almost equally as intense, right? It's not a rejection of the connection that's between them. It's just not being able to sort of frame it that way yet. But I think there's something else that I really appreciate as a thick writer, which is again, that he asks the question that way. And yeah. that leaves so much room for Silver, for them to have already had conversations about this, for there already to have been knowledge of that, right? It does not shut out the possibility. It's not like, oh my God, you're into men? Like, fucking shock. That's not, that's not where we are. <laughs> like, Silver is not surprised by this. And the fact that Silver is not surprised by that part of it. Like, I remember... Okay, because I I started writing long fic before I was done with the series. Edit whatever part that was out. Obviously, it doesn't have to be part of anything. But, like, I started writing it before I was done with the series. And what I needed to know, like, there were a couple things that I had to do. And one of the things that I had to do was watch that conversation, even before I got to it. To be like, okay, because if Silver is surprised, then they can't have been sleeping together before. Silver's not surprised. No. Right? Like, that's not, that's not the shock there. And the fact that that's not the shock there gives us so much room to play. And I love that. It's just yeah. like this whole giant complicated playground of a series between them. It, it really is because he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't respond like, oh, 
oh my gosh, I, I never realized. He responds with, listen, I know you love me, but I won't let it kill me. I'm prepared. I'm prepared to defend against it and it might kill you. And I'm afraid of that happening because I care so strongly for you. And then Flynn's response is to put a fucking sword in his hands and say, do it. Yeah. I can't. I can't with them. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot. And it, it's it's a lot every time. And it's so rich for for fic writers. Um, and that's why, you know, you can have countless interpretations of the same scene, the same dynamic. And every single one is satisfying as a reader. Even if it's a uh, a particular take that you don't agree with, there's so much there to extrapolate in any which way. It's just, yeah, it's it's an amazing foundation for a story. So what is your favorite line or passage that you've written, either from a piece of fan fiction or something outside of that, you know, original piece that you may have written? Yeah, um, this is a really hard question, too, because I think there's a difference um, maybe between craft and like sort of emotional attachment and character stuff. So I think Mm -hmm. in terms of like straight craft, the the beginning of the fic we were talking about earlier, Long as Amber of Ember Glows, um, is like probably the best, technically speaking. But I think, um, so long fic that we were talking about earlier, another Troy to burn the, the burn. second, mm-hmm. um, salt in the sea, which is probably the most sort of complete long form thing that I've written that I'm the proudest of, you know, it's sort of like it's novel length. And I feel like those characters are really, in addition to being who they are in canon, are really my characters. Um, so there's this moment where Silver is really feeling trapped. And I see him as a survivalist and someone who's always just trying to get safety and security for himself and the people that he loves. But he mm-hmm. is pushed to his limits. Um by Flint's manipulations, by the situation that he's in. Um, and he thinks that he's sort of lost everything of himself that that matters, how he relates to the world. And there's this moment where he is thinking about killing himself and Flint walks in and they finally have to sort of confront each other. And everyone's misunderstandings are like brought to the forefront and it was just so incredibly cathartic to have them say words to each other after thousands and thousands and thousands of words of them not talking um Uh where i just absolutely loved um, again, not solving anything necessarily, but having that at least temporary reconciliation where they can see each other and see what has been happening and see the pain they're both in and at least for that moment connect. And I yeah. think that's probably like the most satisfying thing that I've ever written and the thing that I'm the proudest of. 
was that moment where they were able to connect again after all of that pain and all of that misunderstanding. That whole series is just so the depth of the emotions that you delve into and going so, um, so far into um, the darkness that really is in that story. And also the struggle that Silver goes through in terms of um, his body autonomy and everything like that. It's one of the things that so few uh, pieces of media fully embrace is that mental struggle um, that happens when uh, you suffer a disability. So often there is a kind of, I guess, an infantilizing of of this disabled person, but it doesn't really go into um, the depth of the the mental trauma that does not go away when the wound heals, that does not go away when you learn to um, live with your disability, when you learn how to conquer uh, life in, in a different way, um, working around it, that trauma is still there of what you've lost. And that feeling of disconnection from the person that you were before and those you love who, uh, who who you are used to presenting yourself as a certain way the the way that you approach that in in that story um is just so honest and so true and so painful um and yeah it's it's one of the things that i've i've loved about your entire body of work um is the honesty in which you approach um all of the issues that uh the series brings up really challenging with silver especially i mean especially in that series but i i see him a lot i think we see him in the first couple seasons as being someone who values his independence more than almost anything and that independence specifically has to do with physical appeal and attractiveness and being Mm -hmm. able to kind of manipulate situations that specific way. And so for him, that loss of autonomy, I mean, I think for anyone, it would be devastating, but specifically for him, I think he feels like he has lost so much of himself that he can't imagine how he could possibly function in the world and that's where really it his whole what he says to to flint when they're out on the boat on shark date right that anywhere else i'd just be a cripple right that he really can only see himself having this kind of power in in this situation Again, it just, it goes back to the whole, where would you matter? And it it's so painful and so destructive. And I don't know, they just kill me. Yeah. And that whole idea of where else would you wake up tomorrow and matter? The, the way, the way that he says that can be, can be so, so cruel, but also it can be, interpreted and and I hear it both ways like honestly I hear I hear both versions at the same time when when Flint says that to him is not just being cruel and manipulating you to stay but also being desperately um 
jealous of of losing him in terms of uh, desperately needing him as a partner and developing this uh, very strong bond with him and saying, listen, you matter to me. Nowhere else are you going to go where you're going to matter as much as you matter to me right now. And you can hear both at the same time. It's interesting because we know which version Silver hears. He hears the first one. But but I think I think it's very clear that he's also saying, you you matter here, but you matter to me. And it's just it's another part that is just painful where they are they're kind of um talking around each other, but not really at each other, not really, not really hearing each other. Right. Well, and and I think we also tend to forget like Silver is the one who gets really cruel there first. Yeah. Right. Silver is the one who goes, you know, the the gold was was it the gold was the motivation. It's not yeah. exactly that, but whatever that quote is. Um that, you know, there's no other reason for me to be here other than the yeah. gold. And so Flint sort of double da- doubles down and says this thing that's really cruel as he does when he is threatened. Like he's often really yeah. cruel to people that he loves when he's threatened. But it was Silver who really went down that path. Yeah, yeah. They're just, they have the capability to hurt each other so much. And it's so difficult to watch. Yeah. And at that point in their relationship, I don't think the depth uh, of the feeling was really there, but it was definitely starting to grow. Silver Silver was, I think, forming in Flint's mind as this cipher that was channeling a bit of Thomas. And so the, the ability really to hurt someone, there has to be a, a, a connection. There has to be a deep connection or else you really can't, you really can't land a blow. Um, what he says to Gates, maybe you should have been a better father to him. So, so cruel. But he is able to wound him so deeply because he knows him so well. He's such a, he, there's such a strong bond there and they, and as the seasons go on, they are able to wound each other a lot deeply because that bond, that love gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And yeah, it's painful to watch, but it's, but it's honest. It's so honest. Yeah, I think one of the main ways I understand this show is sort of escalating spirals of hurting each other, of the same themes, of the same conversations over and over, you know, the way that that whole conversation plays out in 2.7 with the where where else would you matter and and silver stealing the gold and then here we are in season 4 or whatever, you know, with all of the would I be enough and Mm -hmm. silver having already planned everything with the plantation, right. That it's just these sort of escalating spirals of cruelty and betrayal and enmeshment. And it just, it keeps, it keeps building and it's perfect. Perfect. It is. It really is. And it's interesting that he asks, uh, Flint and Maudie 
the same question. Would I be enough? But it's not exactly the same because he asked Mahdi if all of this went away, if the war was suddenly over, would I be enough? Mm -hmm. And she doesn't answer. And in that silence, we hear a no. Silver hears a no. What he asks Flint on the cliffs is if I don't give you all of myself, if I hold something back, and if I say that you can only have this small part of me, would that be enough? It's a different, it's a slightly different question. And it is more, and his Flint is silent because he doesn't want a piece of silver. He wants all of silver. That's not enough. That's not a rejection. That is, it was, it's okay. I want all of this and you can trust me with all of this, but I can see that you won't. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, I think there's that element. That's not actually the parallel I would draw with that question. I think the parallel I would draw with that question is if you could have Thomas back, would you give up the war? Right. That's the question yeah. he asks Flint. That Within is true. a couple yeah. episodes of each other, would yes. I be enough for you? And would Thomas be enough for you? And Flint says, honestly, I don't know what I would have done. Like Flint gives him, a, I don't know, but it's because it's very theoretical. Mm-hmm. But Silver can't, he is not willing to, he's not confident enough to ask would I be enough? He has to put Thomas in as the proxy there. And he still doesn't necessarily get a yes, but I think he feels like, well, Flint can't even say yes about Thomas. Why the fuck would he say yes about me? But I think it would have been easier for Flint if it was about Silver, right? He just can't see the ways in which he matters. He can't believe that Flint loves him. He can't can't begin to process that Flint actually loves him like that the yeah the trauma bonding that happens between silver and flint is entirely different than the relationship that happens with thomas and it's hard to it's hard to really um give a good parallel because we see so little of that relationship and we know that the time that they spent that uh james and thomas spent together was relatively short Um, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to, to, to say, because, you know, there's so much sentimentality in that relationship with, with James and Thomas, but you see the, the full development of James and who he is at the end of this enormous process of, uh, change personally and and growth and and finally fully understanding himself and in that understanding loving silver so much i do agree i i do think it would be easier for for flint to give that answer if it if he had not used thomas as a proxy I still don't think it would be the answer Silver would want because Flint can't say that the same way Maudie can't say that. Like they both, yeah. they both have goals that are much bigger than that, but it would have been a clearer conversation. Yeah. Anyway, and maybe more could have been sort of resolved, but they're not allowed to talk to each other. <laughs> 
so what is your what is your writing process like? Um awful and painstaking, slow. Um so I am someone who I really do feel like I think that that maybe some authors feel like they're sort of making up what happens. I don't feel like I'm making up what happens. I do feel like I am sort of slowly unearthing what feels right. And so that generally means incredibly sort of slowly feeling my way through what is going to be right. Mm -hmm. I probably spend a lot more hours on my writing than my day job. Um, you know, it's just a very, very, it, it, it does feel a little bit compulsive sort of, I've always got this going on in my head, um, playing with different options, sort of down to sentence structure, just experimenting and experimenting until it gets built up into something that that feels true and for me true really does feel like like canon I appreciate a lot of other authors who might do things that are a little bit more interpretive or sort of like removed Marayu playing with concepts let them be a little bit different I think that my specific thing does tend to be sort of how could this really truly fit within canon and feel right and so it's just kind of playing until it feels right yeah so one of the things that i i have asked um writers on previous episodes that i don't necessarily feel applies here because when i read your writing i i'm not seeing you writing towards specific tropes your immersion in the story feels way more organic. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying this to discount people who um, are writing with tropes. I love tropes, but there, there's a, there's a place for both approaches. And uh, so with that in mind, um, when you're reading specific fix, um, do you, do you like reading certain tropes or do you prefer to read uh, stories that are more organic and going uh, just kind of going into the text and peeking at it from a different angle? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it can be both. I think when I think about the tropes that I like to read, especially in this fandom, it tends to have to do with a lot of Things that because, as, as they're sort of just saying, they have a really hard time talking to each other. And so I love tropes that give them an opportunity to talk. I think, you know, anything that forces them into really extreme situations where they have to acknowledge their feelings for each other, anything that like puts them in altered states where they're like willing to say a little bit more. Um, I also am really unsurprisingly inclined to sort towards sort of like mutual pining where they they both think the other one could never understand. And they're, yeah, that that's kind of where I live. Um, you know, I do also think like one of my favorite things that I have written um, is 
is another way, which is um, short form yes. referred to as Dubcon because it's Dubcon. That was really the like, uh, as so tropes that I grew up on, right? And it was like, you know, I've read fic forever, right? The sort of like fuck or die, like Dubcon tropes are really um, sort of classic and maybe seen as problematic these days, but like speak to something in my my baby reader heart. Um that it was like, okay, well, how could we do a trope like that and keep it like really true to who they are and work it in? So I think for me, the challenge with a lot of things that are like that, that are sort of more tropey is like, how can we make that still feel true to to who they are? And there are ways to do it. So it's not that I I mean, I think also the whole idea of tropes, right? Like stories are stories that humans have told forever. The idea that tropes are something that's sort of like inorganic or like we're imposing. Nah, this is how we tell each other stories. Like they're yeah, always yeah. going to show up when they show up, frankly, like in the source material as well. Yeah. Right? Exactly. This whole idea of sort of like dark backstory where it turns out that his like lost love is the motivation for all of this stuff. Like that's tropes. It's just yeah. So you know, I think like with a lot of things, there's just there's a ton of room to play. Um, and I have a really good time with it, but I do always want it to be kind of feeling true to the source material. Yeah. With another way, um, going back to that because. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what I love about that story is that it does start out with what, yeah, the DevCon situation where there is this ugliness and this horror that Flint feels about the situation and, and how it played out. But then as you go further in the story, it just cracks open to this incredible softness that blooms out of that, where the way that you're able to get from uh, the way that that story starts and to the the blossoming and the honesty that comes out of that is absolutely beautiful. And I didn't think that when I first started reading it um, with that situation, I didn't think we could get there from from here. But it it just is a remarkable thing that that you've done in very different pieces like in terms of like the 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 subtle shift in tone and it's the same as the campfire it's funny we we all imagine it's campfire was actually a lantern um with that story (laughs) it's the mandela effect so the way that that starts with this incredible sincerity and this wonder to the playfulness that that turns like right about mid fic it just these little subtle turns it's just a really beautiful way that that your your stories kind of play with language and emotion and i i love it so what is your background in creative writing i know you are a therapist and so from what i have been discovering and loving with this fandom is every single person i've talked to is so intelligent and educated and that that's the particular audience that this story draws um so what is your background as a writer absolutely not 
<laughs> I didn't. I had not written before this at all. I had done none, no creative writing before this. I was that asshole who was like, I could probably write if I wanted to. I'm just not motivated. And yeah, no, I, again, like I have read, I'm an avid reader for my whole life, but no, I had never written anything before Black Sales. And I was watching the show and really literally just, it sort of got stuck in my head. It was long fic that I started with another Troy to burn. Um, Uh You know, and I remember very clearly, just literally, I was like, driving to a beach vacation and had this like long drive and was just playing with in my head like this idea of I think that Flynn Silver could have been sort of having this relationship the whole time and it would not have changed canon any and thinking about like the first couple chapters of that fic just kind of imagining how it would go and playing with it in my head and literally got home from this like really long day trip drive and was just like what if I just wrote this down and tried and that was it but yeah no I had never written anything before long fic wow (laughs) wow I honestly that is not the answer that I expected because (laughs) as polished as your writing is I am. I'm a little mad at that answer. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just. It's, I've been. You know, I've been like training my whole life for this moment. I guess <laughs> it's you're. You are a stunning writer, really. Like just absolutely, uh, just a natural voice as a writer. And yeah, I mean, if you, that's one of the things. Like you know, if you are an avid reader, you're going to glean the language and and the the musicality of uh of great prose writing great dialogue but man it was more impressive a couple years ago the more years we get out from me having started it's like okay well it's been a couple years at this point but now yeah yeah starting to watch black sales was totally the beginning of the creative writing so um what what stories are you working on right now so right now, I mean, a couple things. I'm working on um, continuing the next chapter of, of Long Thick. Sort of, we're still in that season two, three break time, really diving into the raids and sort of Silver figuring out who he's going to be as quartermaster and coming into his own that way. And then sort of navigating their relationship. So on the one hand, we're there. On the other hand, cooking, which is my side project of what if we sort of dove into the, the fact that in actual real canon, Flint taught Silver how to cook a pig because that's a skill that Flint has. And um, so it was sort of diving into their relationship that way and moving forward from there. And so... So cooking, um, so it's a series called Our Feast is But Beginning. So I'm working on the last, the last, last chapter of that, which is sort of worship stealing times, which is always fun. Um, but the real big project that I'm working on at the moment is um, actually my event prompt, which is another Flint Mahdi piece. And that's kind of where my head is now. And so someone had requested sort of non-sexual Dom Maddie sub Flint. And I really like the idea of like we were talking about earlier, Maddie has so much more, like they're both in these incredibly stressful roles of leadership. Um, Mm -hmm. 
But Madi has so much more support and so much less sort of angst and internal conflict about her role. And I love the idea of Flint being able to kind of set some of that down around her and really relax around her and really let her sort of take the lead because I think he never necessarily wanted to be in that role I think he saw Thomas as the one who's going to be governor um Mm -hmm. you know he would be um and I think that's a lot of what comes up in this story is the idea that fundamentally he would be a really good general Right. He's a military leader. He's tactically brilliant. He's very determined. He's very passionate, but he's not a king. He's not charismatic um, mm-hmm. in that sort of specific way. Like he can motivate people, but he's not, he doesn't have what she has in terms of that like regal presence. And so him really sort of surrendering some of that to her is very compelling to me. And then also there's this sort of premise that came up just through a conversation with friends um the idea that so we know Madi is really educated you know she's she's read a lot of the same books as him she's able to quote um Don Quixote back to him Mm -hmm. and you know so she's clearly been exposed to a lot of this and where did she get all of that well presumably her dad was sending her stuff from Nassau right Mm -hmm. so where is he getting all of that who actually, like, where are their books in Nassau? And this idea that Flint would have been, you know, as he captures prizes, because we see this in the pilot, taking all of the books, right? Because he's just interested. Yeah. And so the idea that the books that he captured from prizes and are selling in Nassau are sort of filtering their way back to Madi, because, of course, Mr. Scott did the purchasing for the Guthrie's. Mm-hmm. And would be sending stuff back to his kid to educate her. And so part of the premise of it is that he keeps sort of seeing her with books and being like, that looks familiar. Like, oh, oh, no, it turns out that you have all of these books that I've stolen over the years. They sort of talk about that sort of thing and really using especially some of the classics as a way to talk about leadership about morality about their relative understandings of themselves in the world and in a sort of more coded way about their relationship with silver and so it's a very sort of strange project but that that's what i'm in the middle of now yeah so let's jump into your top five fix if you were able to narrow it down yeah so I think you know that is something that I think the other folks who have been on this podcast have done a fantastic job answering I'm not sure I can get it to five I think that best you know or even favorite depends so much on what someone is looking for at the moment, what your preferences are. And there's so much in this fandom and so much that's coming out all the time. So what I really would like to sort of do is point people in the direction of a lot of reckless that have been made. Um, I know Jay has made a lot of incredible ones. If you look at, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Tumblr, it's like Jay's historic fiction 
recs um, that there's ones that are, there's Mahdi fix, right? There's like silver flint BDSM, there's like um, OT3, there's all sorts of things. I know um, Dorothy, uh, the great blonde bell rock slayer on Tumblr has reckless that are more Flint Thomas sort of centric or some of the Ranger crew. I think Tumblr Terrible Blights has some as well that are more like Flint Thane. So, you know, I really would say just sort of dive into some of those because my tastes aren't necessarily going to be what anyone else's are. And and I really just couldn't narrow it. I think also if you follow the event blog, like right now, um, the, the built on sand event that is going to involve a lot of, um, it was like sort of big requests and creators filling those prompts. Um, there's a blog associated with that, that really promotes a lot of fic. And so if you look at, at that and the fake tag, you're going to find a lot of things. So I just point people in those directions. Yeah, those those uh, thick rec lists are really fantastic. I have utilized them on a number of occasions. Yeah, it just really depends on um, the mood that you're in and what space needs to be filled emotionally at that moment. And it varies wildly um, depending on the day, depending on, you know, my stress level. Um, whether I'm feeling introspective or just want something fun. So yeah, definitely. And, and, um, particularly Jay's kind of curation of those is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So what advice would you give to people like yourself wanting to get into writing fix for the first time, specifically in terms of kind of cracking into the black sales universe? I think that one of the great things about this being a sort of smaller fandom is that really anything that anyone does is going to be just incredibly loved and well-received. Like we're all so hungry for it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I think that really it's just the, the love and the passion that creators have for these characters shows through, um, you know, it's an incredibly receptive, welcoming fandom um it's really just you know go for it and i think it, it's going to be it's going to be received and loved yes. please write for <laughs> yes please please you know because we're all like hamsters hitting that food pellet refreshing ao3 hoping there's something that pops <laughs> up at the top um and we get so excited every time there's a new fic Um, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, you know, what type it is. I'm just excited anytime I see something pop up under the black sales tag. So, well, thank you at 12. Thank you so much. I, I, I love these conversations so much. And especially when, um, you can just expand my understanding and change my viewpoint on, on things. It's, that's, what's so wonderful about this series. And it's, what's, wonderful about reading everyone's writing and everybody's unique take on this is that it's just it's it's such a great story and it launches so many different conversations but um thank you so much for sticking through me through some audio issues that hopefully we'll sort out as much as we can it has been an absolute pleasure i'm so glad that i could finally uh have you on the podcast 
<laughs> Thank you so much. It was a ton of fun to be here. Thank you so much, Etoile, for pushing through and still being able to blow my mind despite my multiple rewatches and completely reframing Mari's character for me. Thank you to Kelsey, a.k.a. Magic Bubble Pipe, who drew the gorgeous sketch of Flint and Mari scanning the shoreline for signs of life from Silver, featured online for today's story. You can find them on Tumblr, at Magic Bubble Pipe, and on Patreon. Kelsey does stunning work and takes commissions, so definitely check them out. And thank you to all of our listeners. Whether you're returning or joining us for the first time, we appreciate you and we'd love to hear from you. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and a review. It truly does help us to be discovered by more listeners, which helps to shine a brighter spotlight on these amazing artists and creators. And great news, folks, I now have a Patreon. The costs that go into a podcast like this, including commissioning new cover art for each episode, are not insignificant. And in order to keep things running smoothly, I could use a little help from my friends. Just head on over to patreon.com slash reading between the lines podcast. Patreon members will receive early access to the episodes, three days early, in fact, sneak peeks of the cover art for upcoming episodes, and you'll even be able to submit questions for our upcoming guests, all at the $5 level. If you're a fanfic author and have a favorite story you'd love to hear and want to join me on the podcast, please reach out to me on Twitter, at Kentraspring, or at AudioficPod, or you can send an email to readingbetweenthelinespod at gmail.com. If you're not an author, but you've got a favorite fic you'd like me to read, all suggestions are welcome. Please reach out. Thanks again for listening. This has been Reading Between the Lines, a fanfic audio podcast. And I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.